If you find me in error on one point, you should not condemn me in all. For if this was the case, there is, no, there is no mortal who would not be burned a thousand times. Such is human frailty that we condemn the spirits of others as impostors and impious and accept our own, for no one recognizes his own errors. <clears throat> Demeter's Prayer to Hades. This alone is what I wish for you, knowledge. To understand each desire has an edge. To know we are responsible for the lives we change. No faith comes without cost. No one believes without dying. Now, for the first time, I see clearly the trail you planted, what ground opened to waste, though you dreamed a wealth of flowers. There are no curses, only mirrors held up to the souls of gods and mortals. And so I give up this fate, too. Believe in yourself. Go ahead. See where it gets you. A prayer for Palm Sunday. And so we come on our donkeys, some from Detroit and some from Tokyo, and even a few from Seoul. With horns blaring and brakes screeching, we enter the city, the Holy of Holies. We know what Caesar wants, testing ranges and new arenas, while the homeless haunt church basements and the poor shuffle in the streets. But we march to a different drummer. Not many rich, not many mighty. A vagabond crew in a strange land whose ways are not our ways, nor thoughts our thoughts. But let us be of good cheer. Let the word out. The donkey is mightier than the missile, and flowers have been known to split a rock. This week moves inexorably toward Friday. It is Caesar's week, but it is God's world. I have two old, important stories to offer you this morning. Two stories of prophets. Two stories of prophets who were devoted to truth. Two stories of prophets entering their cities, the cities where they would meet their deaths. Two stories, strangely, of prophets making references to talking stones. Stones that would proclaim the truth if human voices fell silent. The first story is the story of Palm Sunday. We join with many in the Christian tradition in telling this story today. The story of the prophet Jesus. And in my favorite version of the story, the one told in the gospel according to Luke, there are no palms at all. 
Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem riding on a colt, accompanied by many of his followers. And the followers are shouting joyfully and spreading their cloaks on the road so the colt carrying Jesus does not walk on the bare ground. This is a sign of respect. And as the story goes, Jesus is off to face people who disagree with him. Jesus is certain that he will die, but he is willing to die. He's willing to die for his truth, a truth that would not let him go. He believed in reform and love and justice and inclusion and forgiveness. He healed the sick and welcomed the outcast. And this challenged the authorities of his day and led to his death. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's surrounded by a loud crowd. And some of the religious leaders nearby call on Jesus to keep his people quiet. They say, teacher, order your people to stop. And Jesus responds, I tell you, if these people were silent, the stones would shout out. Jesus believes that the truth of his ministry is so powerful that stones would shout out the truth if human voices fall silent. This story is being read and told and remembered by many people in many churches this morning, this Palm Sunday morning. And we join them because this is our story too. Our Unitarian and our Universalist roots can be traced to Jesus and his ministry. His message inspired the founders of our faith. We are the heirs of the dissenting tradition of Christianity with roots in the radical Reformation. And that's not all we are, but it is a key part of who we are. So the stories of Jesus belong to us too. And I know that those of us gathered here have a wide variety of relationships to Jesus and the stories about him. Some of us believe he is divine. Others regard him as a wise teacher. Some of us have had experiences that make it painful to hear about Jesus as his name has been used in ways that caused us pain. Some of us don't have a, any particular emotional attachment at all. And each of us holds a unique and precious truth about this, as we do so many other things. And we have created a community that, where there is room for all of this. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. In addition to the stories of the Christian tradition, our tradition includes the stories that are uniquely ours as Unitarian Universalists. My second story of a prophet is one of those. About 1,500 years after Jesus entered Jerusalem, another man stood on the outskirts of a city, a city where he knew no good would come to him. Michael Servetus was a Spaniard. And if you're thinking that Michael Servetus does not sound like a Spanish name, you are right. His name at birth was Miguel Cerveto, and he was born in 1511 in the, in the early decades of the Spanish Inquisition. In that era, names were commonly made to sound more Latin when they were written, and Servetus follows that pattern. Miguel or Michael, Cervedo or Servetus, or however we want to refer to him, 
was by all accounts brilliant. He was a lawyer, a physician, a theologian. And he didn't just have all of these professions, he excelled at them. He served as physician to an archbishop. He was the first European to write about how blood is oxygenated in the lungs. And since he did this in a theological text, and it was just this offhanded metaphor about how the Holy Spirit works, no other physicians read it. And so someone else published later and got all of the credit. He also wrote widely respected texts on geology and geography and astrology. And astrology was part of the sciences then. And when, I, when we talked about this in seminary, about how one person could do all of this, one of my teachers held up, the field of knowledge was a lot smaller then. So law school was one year, as was medical school. There just wasn't as much to know, which is reassuring, but still, he was brilliant. And as can be the case with brilliant people, he wasn't always patient with people who weren't as quick thinking as he was. Perhaps you know some people like that in your life. People who are very knowledgeable, but aren't very patient. People who believe they understand the whole truth and aren't always very willing to listen to others' views. And while it's hard to fully understand someone's personality across the centuries like this, it seems like Servetus was one of those kinds of people. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. For the history to make sense, we need to know some more history. In the centuries before Michael Servetus was born, the land that we now know as Spain was the most religiously tolerant place in Europe. Jews, Christians, and Muslims lived together relatively peacefully. But by Servetus' time, Jews and Muslims had been forced out of what is now Spain. Many chose to convert to Christianity in order to stay in their native land. The Spanish Inquisition, led by the leaders of the Catholic Church, persecuted people who had outwardly converted but still practiced their original faith in private. Many were tortured and burned at the stake because others thought they were not Christian enough. And Michael Servetus saw that the Trinity was a major obstacle for these newly converted Christians. How could God be the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and be one God at the same time? So Servetus, a 15-year-old law student at the time, started reading the Bible with his friends. He wanted to discover what it said about the Trinity, and he found not much, not anything. Servetus later wrote, to me, not only the syllables but all the letters from the mouths of babes, even the very stones themselves, cry out that there is one God, the Father. Not one word is found in the Bible about the Trinity. So there's a prophet talking about shouting stones again. Servetus believed that the truth of his understanding is, was so powerful that stones would shout out if human voices fell silent. Servetus believed in the unity of God, not the Trinity, and this belief made him one of the first modern Unitarians. And it's important to name or describe more of Servetus' 
God of his understanding. It doesn't quite match the Unitarian idea that evolved later. So Servetus believed in the, in the oneness of God and that everything was God. Servetus believed there was nothing that God was not. Nowhere that God was not. Every person, every animal, every object, every place, even the devil, because Servetus believed in the devil, all of that is part of God. This idea of God in everything and everywhere is part of many earth-centered traditions. And the theological word for this kind of understanding of God is pantheism. Servetus also revered Jesus as the eternal son of God and made him the focus of his devotional life. He even called out to Jesus when he was dying. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself in this story. Servetus, with his Unitarian pantheism, thought he had solved the problem of the Inquisition and religious conflict in general. Everyone should just stop believing in the Trinity. God is God, Jesus is not God. And if everyone just agrees with me, he must have thought to himself, we can stop the Inquisition and the religious conflict sweeping Europe and do something else. So he wrote books about his ideas and letters to religious authorities in Spain and France and Switzerland, including John Calvin, the founder of the Reformed tradition, who was the civil and religious leader of Geneva then. So here Servetus was still a teenager, writing to the religious authorities to tell them that they are wrong and he is right, and if they would just study the Bible and think harder, they would agree with him about not only the Trinity, but about whether baptism should happen to adults or children, and, uh, and about salvation. And so as you might imagine, this did not go over very well. Servetus did not end the Inquisition. He was called a heretic. Charges were brought against him by the Catholic Inquisition, and in an era when the Catholic Church and the newly forming Protestant churches agreed on very little, they agreed on their hatreds for Servetus' teachings. The authorities in both communities burned his writings and wanted to put him on trial. And there is some speculation that the Catholics and the Protestants passed evidence against Servetus back and forth between them, and they did not cooperate on anything then. So Servetus spent decades in hiding, using fake names. And during this time, he practiced medicine and wrote his books on non-religious topics. But his idea, his Unitarian idea, would not let him go. He would publish under new names and write new letters and be newly persecuted. And then, he would, and then that cycle would continue. He'd move to a new city, and this would keep happening. So one particularly dramatic episode involved him escaping from jail where he had been held by a French Catholic inquisitor in the middle of the night in his pajamas. And so after he escapes in his pajamas, Servetus seeks refuge in Italy, where a few others shared his Unitarian idea and, uh, and where he thought he might be safe. And on his way, he went to Geneva, home of John Calvin, who had, who had become over the decades one of Servetus's chief adversaries. I can picture Servetus standing outside Geneva, pondering his next move. There were no crowds to praise him as he entered the city. He did not have disciples 
to accompany him or find him a colt or throw cloaks across his path. He had only the stones and the trees, and they witnessed a man deciding what he would do with his idea, his truth that would not let him go. He could have traveled another route to safety in Italy, but he chose Geneva. No one knows why. I believe he had no choice. His truth compelled him. He had to convince Calvin of the Unitarian position. Shortly after Servetus arrived in Geneva, Sunday came. Servetus went to John Calvin's church to hear him preach, perhaps to confront him. We don't know. And he was recognized, arrested, and thrown in jail. And I bet you can guess how this story ends. Had Calvin accepted the Unitarian idea, this room might be a little more full today. Perhaps there'd be a Servetus College up the road in Grand Rapids. <laughs> Calvin had Servetus executed, burned at the stake. Servetus' pleas for tolerance and belief, like the one I read earlier, went unheard. Servetus became one of the first of many Unitarian martyrs. Servetus and Jesus are two of the many who have died, so we can believe. And I don't tell you these two old stories of courageous prophets to encourage you to take your truth and go marching into a modern Jerusalem or Geneva, prepared to confront your own personal Calvin and face death. We are not all called to be martyrs. But it is our responsibility to know these stories, the stories of those who died for our beliefs. In our radical Christian roots, there are many, many stories like this. People who gave their lives for their truth. And if we don't know these stories, we are missing so much. We become walls without foundations and trees without roots. We know that so much has changed in the centuries since that story, the centuries since Servetus was burned in Geneva. Protestantism, which was in its early days then, has become a major part of the Christian tradition. John Calvin and other reformers' teachings birthed the Reformed tradition, which includes the Reformed and Presbyterian churches. Servetus' ideas influenced a number of radical Protestants, including early Unitarians, who we claim as our spiritual ancestors. And it helped spread the idea to have Servetus burned. It's really good publicity in a perverse way. And it also meant other people could publish his works without continuing to threaten his life. So people read and considered Servetus' ideas in a new way after he died. We know that religious difference is rarely a matter of life and death now, at least in this part of the world. And that has to do with Servetus as well. His death horrified many. Many people who did not agree with what he wrote still believed that it was wrong for him to die for those beliefs. Sebastian Castile was a church leader in Basel who spoke for many when he wrote to John Calvin following the death of Servetus. 
to seek truth and to utter what one believes to be true can never be a crime. No one must be forced to accept a conviction. Conviction is free. In a later letter, also to Calvin, he wrote, what do we really mean by the term heretic? Whom are we entitled to call a heretic without being unjust? I do not believe that all, these, all those termed heretics are really such. When I ref- reflect on what a heretic really is, I can find no other criterion than that we are all heretics of, in the eyes of those who do not share our views. And he continues, we can live together peacefully only when we control our intolerance. Even though there will always be differences of opinion from time to time, we can at any rate come to general understandings, can love one another, and can enter the bonds of peace. We know that religious persecution is not just a relic of the early modern era. We know religious persecution is still alive in our world. There are places where people are put to death for blasphemy. Our current administration seems to be trying their hardest to institute a religious test for traveling to this country. And yet many of us are able to cross religious boundaries and come to general understandings, love one another, and enter the bonds of peace in a way that would have been inconceivable five centuries ago. We're able to hold fast to our truths and recognize that others disagree with us and not kill them. And that's pretty amazing. I know this in my life, and I know this because I see it in the life of our congregation. One, one moment in which this was so true in my life was my wedding. Many of you know that my husband, Brian, attends St. Luke's Episcopal Church. He was actually recently elected to serve on their board, so we do a lot of inside-the-church talk at my house now. When we got married five and a half years ago, he was Roman Catholic, and we even went through Catholic marriage preparation, which was fascinating to me, and played a big role in his decision to leave the church. Our officiant at our wedding was a dear friend who's a Presbyterian minister, and though we had no way of knowing that this was a relevant detail then, she's a native of Kalamazoo. So that day, it was a Presbyterian officiating a marriage between a Catholic and a Unitarian Universalist. So I think we made Calvin, Servetus, and the Inquisitors all roll over in their graves a little bit (laughs) that day. Even though there will always be differences of opinion, and those differences matter, we can come to general understandings and love one another. And this coming to general understandings is not just a story of my life. It's a story of people's church life. We know that our beliefs matter, and we also know how to identify when, where our beliefs and values overlap so we can form alliances and good, do good and important work in the world. The fact that we can be a church where not everyone believes the same thing is a powerful example to the world. We know in ways that Servetus and his contemporaries didn't know or couldn't know that beginning a relationship with someone by telling them that they are wrong rarely turns out well. 
In our work with Isaac, a coalition of congregations and other community partners, we join with groups that we do not agree with about everything, but we agree about many things, and we come to general understandings and work together to make our community more just and more peaceful. And in our work to support the Altiara family from Syria, make a life here in Kalamazoo, we partnered with the refugee program of Bethany Christian Services, a social service agency with roots in the Reformed tradition. Again, what would Calvin and Servetus think of these Unitarians and Reformed folks working together to support a Muslim family making a life here? It's amazing what has changed. So it is a beautiful thing that we are not burning one another at the stake, but partnering in the works of love which none of us can accomplish alone. Even though there will always be differences of opinion from time to time, we can at any rate come to general understandings, can love one another, and can enter the bonds of peace. May it be so. May we make it so. And amen.